My name is Georgiana. I am CEO and founder of Beagle Cat, and soon you will be listening to Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. In this podcast, I regularly talk to employer branding managers, talent acquisition managers, and human resources managers in tech companies in Germany, Romania, and the US. For more content on employer branding-related themes, go to employerbranding.tech or beaglecat.com. Stay tuned! Good morning, everyone. A new episode of Employer Branding, the Inside podcast. And today I'm talking to someone who is a fellow girl and a fellow Romanian, I have to say, which makes me super, super happy. Her name is Juana Iordachescu, and she is an amazing professional in talent acquisition and in diversity and inclusion. But Juana, I will let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do aside of your life at Wayfair, please. Welcome. Oh, wow. <laughs> hello. Hello, everybody. Uh, I think you're the first one in about 10 years who did not mispronounce my name, but <laughs> you, you fully know. How Maybe it helps that I'm also Romanian. Maybe. <laughs> A little bit. A little um, bit. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast. I'm learning a lot. Your guests are some people that I admire. So I appreciate being here. Very, very honored. Thank you so much. Super. Your question, what am I doing outside Wayfair? Oh, what am I not doing? <laughs> I was I was actually talking to some friends that I want to take a break or I need to take a break. And in the same time, I was like, I don't know how to take a break. So when I'm not doing work work, um, I do a podcast as well. Uh, we include exactly. EU where we highlight uh, inclusion initiatives, business for good around the European space. Um, it's amazing to meet again, very interesting people around there. Um, I'm a very outdoorsy person, cycling, hiking, swimming, scuba, whatever it is with people. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. now I'm in a cast, so all that will need to be postponed for a couple of months. Um, and I'm very, that's very- That's the only problem, not the weather in Germany. Yeah, <laughs> no. that's, that's the only problem. <laughs> No, I mean, I was looking at some pictures, uh, me doing some long cycling routes in zero degrees. I was like, why was I doing that to myself? But <laughs> yes, um, a lot of uh, work in talent acquisition, um, uh, but also kind of trying to reconnect with nature as much as possible and with people that don't do what I do. So I refresh uh, a little bit my, my mind all the time. Super. Wana, I'm, I'm really curious, what drew your attention to diversity and inclusion? Because Many times, you know, people in, in talent acquisition maybe just stick to talent acquisition. What what changed your mind into into going into this direction? Hmm. I think there is a certain value that I discovered throughout time as being a, a gate opener to people that don't really have an easy way to get in. And I'm saying this because I think talent acquisition in general is seen as the gatekeeping of going into a company and that's kind of true like we say more no to people than we say yes right mm -hmm. um, we interview thousands of candidates to hire a few tens maybe a few hundreds here and there but the the value of me as when i started like almost 10 years ago i remember very vividly, um, I was working in a recruitment agency. I was recruiting some network engineers and there was a job description that came from a client that says, you need to lift 60 kilograms. And immediately that drew my attention to a lot of maybe, let's say my first thought was women will say, hell no, sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then mm -hmm. people with disabilities, if you are pregnant, if you have uh, something, right? But that one thing. And second, I was like, 
you're a network engineer, you develop scripts and put cables and you have machines if you actually need to lift a server or some do some work in the data center, whatever we had to do there. So I found that very disturbing. So since then, I kind of paid attention more and more to requirements that didn't create inclusion. And I was very adamant about calling those out. And then from there, it's just a snowball because the more you pull the thread, you -hmm. discover more discrimination, injustice, sometimes not intentional, just by habit. But if you don't call it out, people actually don't change. So I, I just made a little bit of my mission to do that. So you sort of went from the from the opposite direction, you know, you started by uh, um, putting aside things that people don't do. Yeah. Right. Like, you usually have these job descriptions or requirements for certain job profiles that are outdated. Like maybe it was the case when you were a network engineer to pull cables on a pillar outside and you had to do, I don't know, whatever, more more physical work. But what Mm -hmm. we were doing was not that. And that is replicated in a lot of different um, job profiles, actually. So Mm -hmm. these things actually do repeat themselves. Exactly. I think it also made a lot of sense 10 years ago when awareness was kind of low in this area. Um, So I'm wondering what, what exactly determined you to start the podcast you saw there's a lot of probably discrimination you saw there's a lot of i don't know situations that aren't transparently described or put out there why start this podcast is 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 there something in particular that said you know i have to speak it out i have to start (laughs) inviting people and interviewing them and spreading the word on the thing yeah this is actually very interesting more from um from, for the past seven years or so, I am leading recruitment teams. I have built, let's say, from zero to 30 um, tech technology or commercial or other type of recruitment teams in different countries in Europe, right? So I, I worked in Dublin and Amsterdam, in Paris, in Berlin, and in Bucharest. And while doing DEI work, both as an IC or, or leader in an organization, wherever I would go in, I would discover a gap in knowledge within those organizations around how can I do better DEI work and everywhere we had to kind of reinvent the wheel. For example, I'll I'll give you an example, right? Um, You go into an organization and okay, we want to do more DEI. You start with the language in your job descriptions and you start with, let's say, raising awareness to your talent acquisition teams and your hiring teams. And every time we would have to design almost internally all this type of sets of expertise, whether it's language Mm -hmm. control or trainings and awareness. And it takes a long time when you do it by yourself. You don't really have the expertise, yada, yada, yada. But being in those positions where I could actually allocate budgets to make these programs more sustainable, more uh, expert-based, I used to um, have a lot of demos from experts and service and uh, product providers in the market selling somehow better solutions that we could buy off the shelf and just change those things from maybe a month to another versus six months to every six months. Mm -hmm. And seeing that internally as a receiver, as a potential buyer, I'm like, I want to make sure that there is more awareness in the European market around the experts in our markets. Because the second piece of this initiative is that a lot of the times when you work in organizations and you want to do DEI work, you you either end up or are being sent to US resources, mm-hmm. which are not very well suited for European problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, and I'm wondering, you know, when you said they're not suited to the European context, is it because it's more racially driven probably in the States? A few things. One is the data um, availability. In the European space, on one side we have GDPR and a lot of the European data protection uh, aspects, right. which do not permit a lot of the organizations to collect data about candidates. You collect data about your employees and you can do certain reports or analysis about your current employee population because it's your data on your server with your employees, but you cannot do what they do in the US. Well, you cannot do it as easily um, to collect data about your candidates, which is very different. You cannot say, I wanna build a diverse pipeline without actually measuring how my pipeline looks like if you talk about talent acquisition. Um, so the data piece is one thing. Then the second underlying problem is that each state in the European Union has its own labor laws and equality laws. Mm -hmm. And while in France, for example, the word race is not even recognized, <laughs> in Germany, there would be a very sensitive topic to start tracking ethnicity because of yeah. historical reasons. Like mm -hmm. some things are very in the law and a lot of things are also culturally taboo or need changing sensitive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so adapting to these realities um, takes an intentional drive to discover what are some of these parameters or constraints that you need to be in which are very interesting actually and are the right things to do um, not everybody has the same minorities in each country in oh, europe yes. right, right. If I say I'm oh. going to focus on <laughs> people of color and I'm like, yeah, but maybe that's not really a big problem in, I don't know, <laughs> Romania, right? Uh, yeah. But we have an, an issue with integrating Roma population. Right. How do we do that, mm -hmm. right? So these nuances are very, very, I discovered they're very important and very um, um, helping you. They're actually helping you to address uh, situations from those specific countries and those specific populations uh, more directive than just I'm doing DEI and I'm going to take this segment of population and that's that. And you know what, as, as I've started, since I've started to work with um, employer branding and HR specialists with people such as you, um, I realized and discovered that there's so much complexity when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And each of the guests that I've ever interviewed for this podcast has a different approach to it. But still, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, when you're Zalando or, or, or when you're, uh, I don't know, Wayfair or Idealo, you have the budget to have people manage diversity and inclusion. Maybe in Zalando you have an entire team managing diversity and inclusion. But what do you do when you're a startup? When you don't have the money for it, you don't have the knowledge, you don't have anyone to implement it. So how, how can you as a leader make use of some basic tips yeah. to just be more inclusive? I, I love that you asked that. And um, I was a bit um, angry <laughs> the other day. I met somebody who does business development for Gartner. Gartner does a lot of um, advising for young startup yeah. founders um, using data and kind of showing them the path. And I asked, he was like, oh, I have this portfolio of about 12 people. And I'm like, how many of these people are women? Like, and he just like froze, right? He's like, oh, none. So what is our expectation when we go and say, hey, the next generation or the next businesses are going to be more inclusive? And I'm like, they, they don't necessarily start the right way. That being said, though, education plays a huge role. And I just yes. want to tell this story when I was working at 
Facebook many, many years ago, and um, uh, I was recruiting for a department, uh, very, very technical site reliability engineers, infrastructure stuff, right? There were 100 people in Dublin, none of them women, all of them very similar, different ethnicity, so that kind of helped a little bit. Uh, and we said, this needs to change. And the, the thing that actually changed first was the openness of this let's say 20 men, we kind of chose some champions from that group to learn about maternity leave. Yeah. Learn around the differences of how people interview uh, based on some, let's say, distinct identity markers. Uh, yeah. There are some patterns. We need to just learn and adapt and kind of just be aware. Maybe some things actually do not prove the bias or do not prove the stereotypes, which is often, but you need to understand those things. And this is my call out to, to startup founders, to people who work in startup, sometimes just getting educated. So the OACD organization has a full dedicated segment on inclusive entrepreneurship, which has so many resources around funding, um, growing teams, expanding, um, creating awareness. Like there's no excuse today anymore. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just no, saying. You're right. You're right. And you're going to get some stuff, although that also is another problem that we're going to face. But education is the first step for sure. Implementation is hard. And as you were saying, I think for almost all my career, to be honest, there was this question, what's the silver bullet? What's the yeah. one thing you need to do to change this? And my answer today is this is a systemic, complex problem. Mm -hmm. I want to solve some, I don't know, sales and conversion there's not one thing you do. You do so many different things to address yeah. your marketing problems, right? Or your sales problems. Exactly. The same you need to do for people strategy. And you know what? I was I was just thinking right now that recently, a few weeks ago, I helped my husband who is in tech, a tech entrepreneur. I helped him organize this event um, on quantum computing where we invited tech product owners in Berlin. And believe me, Juana, me and my colleague, we really struggled to identify one woman who would attend this event, one woman. I think I found two or three, they were not available, but the vast majority of people who have a voice in this space are men. Yeah. And I, like I said, okay, diversity and inclusion is a very complex issue. And I know some people are, are facing issues and problems that are much more difficult and important than the ones that I am mentioning. But I, I keep on wondering, thinking of my, my own example all the time, when you have to balance work and personal life or children, you don't, you don't have time to write content on LinkedIn, or you don't have time to, to put yourself out there mm -hmm. and to transform yourself into a voice. And I find it so unfair, you know? And you know, when I, when I opened the event, I was the only woman, I was the organizer, the person coming from employer branding and marketing. And Exactly. And, and I told them, you know, guys, I've, I've, I've really struggled to find a woman, someone who's in product, who's in, who's in tech, who would be with us today. And, you know, they, they were kind of supportive. And some of them said, you know, but next time, let us know. Maybe we give a shout out mm -hmm. to our network. It should not be this hard, man. Really. No. And the networking piece is very interesting, right, as well. I think that's the second big, especially for leaders. If you start on the path of building a business, if you get to lead a business at some point, expanding that network of yours internally and externally 
makes a world of difference. Yeah. Um, I want to say that every hiring process is super tight, but no, especially when we talk about executive hiring, when we talk about leadership hiring, when we talk about succession planning, I'm sorry, but the MBA networks are successful for a reason because the network is what keeps that glue together and there is a, that, that extra validation of quality, yada, yada. But if your network is 95% men, then the 5% women that you know, they're not going to match on timing. As you were saying, I've done this event. There are women there, but they were just not available, right? And I'm going to ask you, what was the hour where the event happened? Yeah, that's one other aspect. <laughs> I think around uh, 7 p.m. Yeah. yeah. If, if like, whenever yeah, we do... I find a babysitter as well for that event. Whenever we do events now, um, uh, and this is something we discovered by, by, by yeah, by, by doing. messing it up, <laughs> to be honest, right? Yeah. Like, let's do 5.30. Like, somebody would get an hour away from yeah. work, and yeah. that hour can be, you know, shuffled around to an event. That's great. And it works, to be honest. You're right. I, you're right. And that brings me to, to all the uh, nice and interesting events that are happening at Mindspace. And they all happen at five and I have to pick my daughter up at four. And then whatever work I have to do, I do in the evening. So I'm like, man, I can never participate. Yeah, I would like to have some uh, French uh, wine and some cheese every now and then, you know, with the people at Mindspace. But it's not for me. Because yeah. that's cool. I've seen some others now doing a lot of breakfast time or lunch time. I think there is variation and we just need to keep keep trying for this because it is a reality, yeah. right? Of yeah. Having access to the fun part, to be honest, of having a job sometimes <laughs> and the connections and meeting new people and getting some more ideas from, from those events. That's the purpose of the events, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how, um, how would you say that um, um, diversity and inclusion can be integrated into the employer branding aspect of the business. Mm, I love that. Um, every time I had the opportunity to, and I think it was three times now already, to work on EVP in partnership with our employer brand um, specialists, really starting from, you do a lot of discovery, right? When you build an EVP, you do a lot of discovery and definition of kind of your personas and your target audience. Right. And that's the first area where DEI needs to be um, considered. One, understanding your demographics. Are mm -hmm. we talking age? Are we talking gender identity? Do we have all this represented in our focus groups, in our surveys, whatever discovery right. methods right. you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Am I like, did I get, oh, we did the survey for 1,000 people in the organization and we got these results and I think this is what's going to be, you know, standing out for us. And I'm like, okay, were these 1,000 people this category of folks or did we actually include more? Um, there's also a lot of external data that I think in general, whenever I see employer brand strategies or EVPs being designed and deployed, there's so much internal focus. And yeah. the reality is that that organization, EVP, you do it for, for what, five years, 10 years, maybe you want to keep it? What's the best case scenario? Yeah. Right? Your organization has a churn. It has attrition. People yeah. come and go. The makeup of that organization, the makeup of the talent that you're targeting is changing in time, right? Let's say Gen Z is coming into work, Gen Alpha is coming into work. How are we serving those? So even just going maybe a bit externally to understand those demographics, not just your internal employee population, but external, let's say up and coming talent, 
that's very interesting to kind of tap into and incorporate the forward-looking vision in that employer brand and then the voice right what tone of voice what type of um (laughs) what type of language do you use Mm -hmm. to create the sense of inclusion right yeah and you know i'm I'm always thinking just to to add something and to conclude your your statement tell me more you've you've done more (laughs) i'm just the assistant in a way i have done but without really giving a particular focus to diversity and inclusion because we work with companies who are smaller companies that are smaller and i guess my own and my personal philosophy on life in general is the philosophy of kindness and inclusion in general you know but sometimes it's it's so hard to to bring everything in that needs to be brought in i'm thinking of so many companies in berlin specifically who are big companies who have budgets include the people into their employer branding strategies, but who never practice what they preach. Mm. We're going to ask girls who work at that specific company how they feel, and they're going to say, gosh, it's so xenophobic and so Mm. misogynistic, and I'm having such a hard time every day. But you know, you look at the walls, it's all full of mantras and all full Mm. of EVP papers. So I'm like, okay, (laughs) maybe it's disconnected to to what you've you've previously said, but I, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, how can we do it in a more practical way you know by 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 actually you know practicing what we preach yeah totally uh, i'm not sure if i if i speak to my parents generation right or um different even cultures sometimes it's just not that important what the organization says as long as they pay me right like there is also this philosophy for a lot of people who who work right, right. and build a career mm-hmm. The reality, on the other hand, is that we started visualizing, it's in our face, how discrimination in the workplace is impacting not just the person, but the entire group, even the ones who are observing anything that's happening wrong, right? And then their families, their communities. So it's, it's, it's just kind of we need to reverse that and understand the damage that has been done generation by generation. And I, I don't want to like, as you're saying, there are a lot of problems in the world. I'm just saying this seems a little bit one that is not unsolvable <laughs> or mm-hmm. at least something that if we would work a bit more towards together and have a deeper understanding and have that listening ear. Because as you say, I, I have the focus group with the leader of the organization. They're like, yes, I love this value. Let's be all included. Celebrate diversity, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's put yeah. that in our values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, exactly. I see now a lot of executive leadership interview um, kind of questions and set of uh, dimensions. They test leaders on what did you do to support DEI in that organization? How much money did you allocate, first of all, right? If you had to allocate money to talent acquisition, to employer brand, to, uh, I don't know, HR, and then operations and whatever, did you put 10K? Did you put 100K? Did you put a million? What did you do for that? Did you put resources? So there's that. And then second, like, how's your network looking like? What type of ERGs are you sponsoring? People need to, as you say, walk the talk. And there are many ways. And I, I know it's frustrating to see all the things that go wrong, but there are a lot of leaders out there, a lot of people who take the effort and they they get frustrated, but they also get work done in the DEI space. Yeah. I love, for example, how SAP, a very, let's say, yeah. the mentality of people, yeah. a very, I don't know, 
old school kind of organization. I don't know, yeah, right? German. But That's they're, a very German organization. But they're they're focused on neurodiversity. Their programs to just mm-hmm. diminish what's happening in society, which is people with neurodiversity. Um, uh, they actually don't even reach the workforce, although they could for different things. So just that education, those programs are super important when when leaders in those organizations, like the ones in SAP, they're like, I'm just gonna put some money behind this and that's that. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And you know what, in the end, I think it it all boils down or a big part of it boils down to, to getting educated on the topic and knowing more on the topic. And I'm thinking now of a very specific example, um, an issue that occurred in, in my daughter's school with my daughter um, mm. a few weeks ago, we, we faced um, a racial discrimination topic. And uh, by going more in depth into the, the colleague's mom, who is also a very dear person to me, I understood how little I know on the topic mm-hmm. and how much they are struggling to spread the word around on the topic. And I was like, man, why did I never learn in school? I did not learn 1% on this topic. Yeah, you're so right about that. There are so many things that we face on a daily basis from financial education to um, yeah, discrimination and equality uh, to health, right? Like there's so many topics that we face and struggle with as adults but we are not educated. So it definitely starts there. Yeah. I have no power in that area. I know there are a lot of like organizations and people working in that, but it's hard, right? And it's supposed to be hard. Like this is not a new topic. This is centuries, millennia old things. Integration Absolutely. and acceptance. Absolutely. And it's not an excuse. And I, I took it upon myself and I, I promised myself I would start educating myself on the topic and my daughter at the same time, because just like poverty, for example, it's an issue that we have to, to yep. face every day and just because it doesn't happen to me personally yep. it doesn't mean i don't have to be aware of it for sure yeah, <laughs> yeah. So then i'm you know that brings me to my um, to my next question because hr people are the gatekeepers like you said to an organization <laughs> how can we help them to escape bias in recruitment how do we make sure they are well educated enough to bring in people based on their competence not on their age not on their race not on their gender not on any other, you know, characteristics, which shouldn't count. How do we do that? Breaking news, bias will always be there. Um, That's how we uh, function in the world. Um, But I do want to give a couple of pointers, which I think helped me as an individual to be more careful about my actions. And then the second piece is Um, having this type of conversation. So for the individual awareness, uh, there's a very interesting um, tool from Harvard, um, Harvard Implicit uh, Bias. Um, It has a lot of, let's say, sections where you can test yourself, test, share it with people in the team, um, uh, understand a little bit your background of how you make decisions and how you make shortcuts to put people in certain boxes like friend or foe like we have we have this right in 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 our brains but understanding that is very interesting and for me i again this was like about 10 years ago i discovered this tool it's still uh, very much promoted in all uh, uh, unbiased trainings or cultural awareness trainings it's a very good one and it's consistently evolving and i'm going to share something which i'm not very proud of 
but I think it's important, right? Like uh, uh, 10 years ago, I was like, what, 20 something. <laughs> I was recruiting engineers for international companies in Europe. And it was like this boom of tech, right? And every company was young and dynamic. And everybody, every company was fast-paced, right? Speaking of branding. Every company had... Uh, was a family. Every company was a family. <laughs> uh, ping pong tables and whatever, right? Yeah. And because I landed in this, I think because I landed in this environment uh, of those were the job descriptions, those were the requirements, right? When you say we are a, a young company, it's like, oh, but we need young people, whatever, right? But I've done this mm -hmm. thing, okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Gender, I, I tend not to be biased around gender. I did um, uh, nationalities, ethnicity, and the results were like conclusive with, let's say, a normal bias level <laughs> within whatever bracket or benchmark I did. But then I did the age one and it kind of showed, hey, you might actually be biased against older people. Hmm. And I was like, for sure. Because <laughs> wow. I was young myself, I could see a lot of, let's say, my older generation who are not tech savvy uh, or like they're never going to make it at Vodafone right they're never going to make it at this super hip new king whatever right like new gaming <laughs> all this like fancy organizations who are like hiring a lot of young people and also because in schools they were coming out and so on and it, it really helped me check myself and try almost like <laughs> blind my OCVs when I was analyzing then and I you know, slightly true right like I would not necessarily not interview or not put them forward but I would be having that first thought around mm, mm, maybe not and interestingly enough that really helped me then hire people who were 50 plus in tech jobs yeah, yeah, yeah. in the first mm -hmm. year or so I would have been like no that's you know this is not what's required of me <laughs> my employer, my, my hiring manager will not accept the CV. And the, you kind of start developing methodologies in that area. So awareness, definitely. Whatever tools you, you uh, try to, to adopt and understand. There are, the, I don't know, 36 cognitive biases in recruitment uh, and decision-making around people. There are some very specific ones. Just know at least the 10 ones and have a quick check with yourself whenever you need to make this decision, whether it's promotion, succession planning, uh, giving feedback, for example, anything that happens in that area. And sorry, I'm, I'm talking so much about this because it's, <laughs> you're, you're, you're touching us. Yeah. But for Germany specifically, I think a lot of your audience would be familiar with the Charta de Vielfalt, I think it's pronounced. Um, this is an organization, a governmental one that has a lot of educational pieces around bias and discrimination and inclusion. And there is this map, actually, super interesting, that in the middle, it's a circle, right? Imagine concentric circles. And in the middle, we talk about identity. Diversity and bias uh, influenced by the identity dimensions. And that would be gender, age, ability, um, things that in uh, things that in general you cannot change about yourself. Yeah, like, but they influence how you experience the world. They influence how the world interacts with you, right? The color of your skin, your gender, yada yada. Mm -hmm. And then those circles continue. Socioeconomical background: Are you rich or poor? Are you from this background or this? Are you from this? Are you from Bavaria or are you from are you from East Germany or West? Like some things are so 
ingrained in our culture. So mm-hmm. a lot of culture, religion. So that's the second circle. Then the third is more around like, where are you currently in your life? Right? Are you working? Are you a freelancer? Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Mm-hmm. A lot of these things continue to influence decisions. Um, so being just aware of that and kind of building some programs and sustainable investment in understanding your populations and addressing programs for them. I'll give you a very specific example where this is super useful, building benefits for your organization. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's such a big difference between what one needs versus another. So that equity can be built in if you understand your demographics. And if you ask the people who work with you, yeah. maybe also what would motivate them and what would be, I don't know, a relevant benefit. And I'm asking that because this was a topic at um, at yesterday's conference, mm-hmm. how you know companies are, are offering benefits left and right nowadays, which for the most part are irrelevant because mm-hmm. not enjoying sports is not going to do anything with the gym yep. subscription and you know yep. so on and so forth. But that's this is very true, right? Let's say I, for example, now I am with a disability, uh, and. Uh, if I am somebody who is permanently with a mobility disability and I'm like, you put 50 euro as an organization to give me access to a gym, which I will never use. Can yeah. I use that 50 euro for my physiotherapy? Right? Can I? <laughs> right? So, because if I don't use those sets of benefits that you think are like for everybody, I get left with nothing. So it's a very big gap between me and my friend. Uh, Georgiana uh, mm-hmm. who is actually fully abled and would benefit from all these things right so then you actually create gaps within your organization exactly. just because you can't find the flexibility and again it's not easy and I know a lot of my friends in HR and benefits will hate me for this but um, we just need to continue having those conversations and do that research and create just more uh, open sustainable programmatic investments that's it it's like where do i put my money right if it would be my money where do i put right and i I think this is super valuable and you've given me an additional topic for this podcast connecting benefits with the topic of diversity and inclusion and then implicitly employer branding super super interesting but Juana, we are reaching the end of our discussion and I have one last question. I would love to chat with you for hours and maybe we can take this outside of, of yes, uh, the recording room. Um, what would you say is your biggest success so far when it comes to diversity and inclusion? Mm. I can't re- to be honest, all the, let's say, bigger, more serious programs that I managed to implement in organizations that I've been in, are very different between themselves. But I would say there is a underlying piece that for me, it brings almost joy and pride, but also energy to move forward. Mm-hmm. From each of them, I've learned, we've learned so much. Um, whether in, for example, booking.com, we did um, some women hiring events, women focused hackathons, they were a success and we learned so much from them. Even if we didn't actually continue to do them in that format, we learned so much, not just about hiring and, and women in tech, but also about booking as a product yeah. and fascinating. Um, in, in Paris in Criteo, we did some leadership uh, trainings and awareness with some fascinating trainers. Uh, Pete Stone uh, is, is a, a marvelous resource in Paris. Um, uh, amazing experiences and a lot of learning. 
the most recent one, I think it's for me, maybe something that will drive a lot of my future actions, which is creating DEI frameworks for the talent organizations. How do we have leadership commitment and that walk the talk, as you were saying, how do we implement tools and methodologies that actually support our goals and we can measure them? And then how do we communicate and enable anybody who works with us? Because this is not just a bit like employer brand, right? While you have one, two, three, whatever people working on employer brand, the success of your EVP, the success of the employer brand team lays in how people actually live that afterwards, right? How they take that and communicate it and amplify it. And it's the same in DEI. And I think this is my my biggest, most recent pride point is a, a framework that serves the organization at this point. And again, each organization is on a different journey. I always try to kind of understand what do we need now to move forward? Because then you just stall or go backwards, which is not something that we want. Indeed. Cool. Oh, wow. This was so much fun and I've learned so much. It's like I said, the topic that I don't uh, really master. I'm basically just starting to scratch the surface. <laughs> so thank you so much thank for you. talking to me. And please, let's continue this offline at yes, some point. Yes. I would really love that. Appreciate it. Yeah.